so we're gonna go ahead and get started um welcome everybody um today we have uh, a great guest someone i really respect Aww. and someone who i feel like is, is, is a really cool person and i've always wanted to uh have this conversation with this person and like uh want to share this conversation with all of you because obviously i think she's a cool person and so you know it's it's one of the it's one it's it's really one of the big reasons why i asked you to be on this podcast today and so i'm gonna go ahead and let her introduce herself and give us a little bit of background of you know who you are and things like that uh, <laughs> hi sarah Cantil here uh, a little about me i'm a freelance writer mm-hmm. from south texas and i'm very happy to be here with you <laughs> thank you for welcoming me to your home and mm-hmm. dora for the delicious uh pizza tart that we have here <laughs> So to kind of give everybody like a little sense of the feeling of how we're recording this today. Again, we're recording again on my kitchen table at my house. Again, obviously, every episode we discuss what coffee we're drinking. And today we are drinking Un Momento. It's really good. Yeah, it's pretty good coffee. Uh, It's basically um, a Latin American ground coffee and it has a hazelnut flavor to it. So this is a coffee that uh, me and Dora buy all the time. It's... You know, we buy it at HB, and it's yeah. like one of our you know favorites. So it's and it's like really really cheap. It's super good. It's really good. The way it smelled yeah. when you were brewing it, I was like, oh yeah. wow. <laughs> so that doesn't smell like my little five dollar cake cups that I have. <laughs> <laughs> HB brand. <laughs> so I, those HB ones are good though. Like, what do you get? You get well, I we love San Antonio blend, and um, I really get whatever's the cheapest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not good for a regular, but well, I mean. It's deal. still coffee, right? Yeah, yeah, true, true. Still coffee. Well, I mean, I know we've had this discussion before about a Starbucks, how mm-hmm. I think it's super strong, and you're like, that's weak. That's weak. <laughs> it's weak stuff. Weak, weak stuff. So I don't know what your idea of like a good, solid coffee that's going to jack you up is. Well, I mean, obviously you have your espressos, but I mean, I know you have like, you like to put like 10 espresso shots in your drinks Actually, too. Actually, no. Mm-hmm. Actually, just the Starbucks iced coffee regular? by yeah. itself. Oh, well, like, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've read that it's one of the stronger ones at right. starbucks just the regular yeah. coffee so if you yeah. get like yeah just regular iced coffee yeah. yeah that's pretty strong stuff there like one of them i mean obviously there's coffee brands and blends out there that are really really strong but one of the ones here locally that i've had was like really really strong this is a little coffee shop on 10th street that is called um Semilla coffee lab uh-huh. And they have really good coffee there. It's like artisanal coffee or whatnot. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. So, I've seen um, photos. Mm-hmm. So, some, one, I, I got a really good cup of coffee there. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. So, like, talking about coffee, obviously, one of the things that I always ask my guests is, like, what got them into coffee? Like, what was the first thing that got them into coffee? I mean, like, why did you start drinking coffee? And It was when, I think when I really got into it was when I started freelancing full-time. Mm-hmm. And I just could not get my ass up in the morning. I like, <laughs> wanted to sleep all the time. So, yeah, as soon as I got, um, it was like a venti Starbucks one day on the way to work because I didn't know what to get. I wasn't a big Starbucks person. And as soon as I had that, I was like on top of the world all day. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, shit. I need this <laughs> in my life every day from now on. So that's how that happened. So it wasn't a very, like, emotional story, like, for me. Um no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry to you. No, I mean that's good. I mean that's good. Also good. To, like I mean that's the point, right? Like that's, um, you know, sometimes to some people, coffee is just one of those necessity things. You know, right. 
you know, obviously there's a lot of people out there who just drink coffee because it's one of those things that allows them to, you know, get concentrated and, you know, uh, focus on things. And obviously that, that's something that's very important for you as a writer. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, that's like where they draw some form of inspiration to like just having a, like, I guess it's like one of those things like you're drinking the coffee, you smell it and you know, your brain just gets into that mode, right? It gets right. into that mode of like, okay, this is what I have to do. This is the work I have to do because I'm having my coffee. Now I'm in that mode. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. It's more than just a physical reaction. It's like totally mental too. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So, so your story is... Oh, so, you, so you, you don't know my story, right? I'm assuming it's got something to do okay. with... Okay, yeah. so perfect. I mean, obviously I explained in the first episode of the podcast. So if people want to check that out, go ahead and uh, look that up. Um, and I kind of sort of explained it too a little bit in the second episode, which is with Dora, my wife. And in that one, we talk about marriage and uh, well, our marriage and other little things about that but the story is is that the reason the podcast is called coffee with my abuela is because when i was small and maybe like five six my mom uh worked you know the regular uh eight to five jobs uh she was a custodian at a middle school and in the summers well i needed to be babysat so uh her her solution was to go drop me off with my aunt who was at the time uh like the one taking care of my, my grandma. Mm-hmm. So um, she would go drop me off there in the morning. But since it was summer, all my cousins would be sleeping in, right? Right. So my grandma would have to take care of me for a couple hours while everybody else woke up. Yeah. So during that time, you know, my grandma, would, we would sit down at the kitchen table and uh, at my aunt's house. And, um, you know, she would just serve me a cup of coffee. And she'd be having her coffee. I'd be having my coffee. And we'd be having like you know the, the French bread, the little uh, little French baguette mm-hmm. things. Right. You know she would cut, cut cut one in half and give me the half, and then she would have the half, and then you know she would show me like oh just dip in the coffee and have you know have it with your so coffee. Cute. Yeah, and and it's just one of those things that I grew up with that, and and I'm, I know a lot of Mexican households you know grew up with that. Um, and that's kind of like what we discussed uh, with Dora. Uh, I discussed with Dora last week. Uh, she had like a similar experience too, and yeah, I, I vividly remember those those uh, th- those times you know, in the morning sitting mm-hmm. with my grandmother uh, just drinking coffee, and it's you know, it's fun. It's funny because uh, you know, as a little kid, and like, what would you, what would I talk about with my grandma, right? Like, you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm obviously. sure there were things. Yeah, I mean, I, exactly. But I mean, I don't remember right. exactly what we talked about, right. but I just remember the experience of it, and I remember the coffee. And uh, and I also remember my mom telling her not to give me coffee because it stopped my growth. And so um, that and you'll be bouncing up the walls by noon. Yeah, I, mean, I, was, I was ready to go by the time my, my cousins woke up. And we're ready, so ready to rage. Yeah, we were like you know go balls to the walls, you know. So, but uh, yeah, so it, it's just like my story behind coffee, and that's, that's why. That's a like, really pleasant story, and I'm glad to be part of that. Yeah, and that, that's why I like. That, that's kind of like the reason again why yeah. I made this podcast because one it helps me reconnect with the memory of her, and two it uh, you know just it's the opportunity to sit down with great people and have conversations with them because you know I, I think that great conversations come about you know just having a cup of coffee with somebody you know and a lot of things you know when you, when we in our day and age now like I mean we're young but it's still like we fall into these pitfalls where like we're just too addicted to our phones or into our technology. And we kind of forget just to kind of sit back and, you know, just have a cup of coffee with a friend and, you know, just have a nice conversation. 
so uh, that's kind of like what I'm like trying to like do as well, like make sure that you just have a good conversation. Yeah. And I know people would be interested in hearing these type of conversations because I mean, who doesn't like hearing a good conversation? Right. right? True. Yeah. And, and on top of that, like you know, I, I invite the audience to be part of it too, like you know, comment and share it with other people who may uh, um, who may also have the similar experiences as me, like who mm-hmm. would sit around with their grandmothers and drink coffee, you know. Right. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I wasn't the only one in my family who did that with my grandmother. I'm sure my, some of my other cousins did it, and I'd be happy to talk with them as well um, about their experiences. Um, but yeah, I mean, and, and unfortunately, like my grandmother passed away like when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I must have been like seven or eight when she passed away. So I didn't, I didn't really have that much time with her, but that's why, like, one of the reasons why I really treasure that memory. Yeah. And it may not have been like a big memory or whatever, but it's just one of those, it's one of those small little moments in life that I can always recall. Oh, that's very sweet. <laughs> Thank you. So cute. Yeah, Thank you. I love it. So, like, enough about me. Let's talk about you. Uh, you're my guest. So tell me, like, one. I know you were telling me your, your backstory before. Okay, well, let's tell people how we met. And how we came to know each other. I, I, I met Sarah through a program that was that we both applied to and we got into, which is the Hive Effect program, which is like a little incubator program that was um, uh, he, here in our local city. And like it was through a co-working space, Grindstone Co-working. Shout out to Daniel. Um, Yo, Daniel. And so uh, we both got into this program. And I remember the first time I met you, it was like the whole like introduction thing. And... Uh, you know, we, we just kind of like shook hands. Oh, hi, I'm Sarah. Oh, hi, I'm Eduardo. Because, you know, you know, at work, everybody calls me Eduardo. They don't call me Eddie. Uh, yeah, so that's that's the first time I met you. And I remember asking you also, what exactly do you do? And you were like, oh, like, I, I, I'm a writer, this and that. And I thought, like, wow, like, she makes a living writing. That's <laughs> that's that's impressive. Like, I've, ne- I've never met a writer up to that point. I mean, I met, like, some journalists. Uh, but I never met, like, an actual writer, like, mm-hmm. who does that kind of stuff. So I was very impressed uh, oh, by you. Uh, so, so yeah. So, like, you know, tell us a bit, a bit more about how you got into writing, and you know, how is it you become a writer now? Um, I've always had an interest in writing since I was young. Apparently, my mom read to us a lot. Mm-hmm. She was a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was like into books when I was little, and then. In elementary, I was like kicking ass at Accelerated Reader. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Accelerated Reader, that rocked. So I was like constantly um, winning those little competitions every month. And then from then, I just started writing little like fiction on my own. I think when I was like eight or nine, we had a computer, like an old school desktop. Uh And uh, opened up a Word document and just started writing some bullshit tales. Like a fairy fairy tale with my own little Latina interpretation of a fairy tale. So, uh, yeah, I wrote that, and my mom was, like, all proud of me, showing it off to her friends. I was like, hey, mom, did you, you know, show my novel to your friends? Uh-huh. Yeah, they loved it. Lies, they probably didn't even read it. <laughs> but, uh, no, so that interest had always been there. And then all throughout school, little things um, would pop up that I would write, like um, UIL, mm-hmm. our little journalism contests and stuff. And then I ended up uh, wanting to go to school for it. Mm -hmm. So I went to college, Mm -hmm. got my journalism degree, and the rest is history pretty much. And and that's one thing that I I really admire about you, um, that you're you're a person that 
from a young age knew what you wanted to do mm-hmm. and you basically fulfilled that now you're an adult and you're doing that and you know a lot of people like they 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 have those dreams and later in life maybe they don't accomplish them or they kind of you know take a little sidetrack and then get back to them um but you i mean you, you did it you're a writer yeah you know, that's that's really cool and that's why like i really admire you and i'm really inspired by by that story and i'm better i I don't mean to make it sound like it was that easy because there was oh, there were not. some yeah. roadblocks along sure. the way. There were many <laughs> broke times where I was like having to live off my parents while I got myself on my feet and uh, little things like that. So yeah, it wasn't easy, but I'm so super... you're saying you're the Sarah Jessica Parker <laughs> of South Texas, basically. Wow, <laughs> that's basically <laughs> exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> no, but I mean that's like. You know, sound dumb about it, but she and I, we do share some similarities in that we don't make a lot of money, but it is our passion. And exactly, we yeah. spend our money on dumb things like shopping. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so there's that. I, I think that, well, even even with that, uh, even with that, I think that's partially even why I respect you even more, um, that you're willing to do all those sacrifices for your passions. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, a lot of times people just, Put those passions to the side because xyz reasons um a lot of times it's obviously like very important reasons like family obligations things like that but for you it's like you just you know you felt adamant about it and you're like you know i'm gonna do this and i think that's very very admirable for someone especially um, someone seeing seeing someone the same age as me basically and um just be, to be able to achieve their dreams like that i think it's really i think it's awesome Thanks. I wish uh, I wish the money reflected it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that that's one of I mean that's a really big reason why I've met so many people who are like, man, I've always wanted to write, or you know, I, one day I I would love to write a book, mm-hmm. but it's just uh, you need a lot of times you need a day job. So I understand why people can't pursue those passions. Uh, luckily for me, I happen to stumble across Upwork, and mm-hmm. that help tremendously because if not for that where would i have found somebody was going to pay me that kind of money right. here in the valley to write right. about top like random topics like right. that it just wouldn't have happened so, so i mean the internet has played a huge role in my career thus far and it's just like so freelancing and the internet is like the thing that really uh helped your career yeah if not for yeah if not for the internet i wouldn't have a career no nope, not at all <laughs> <laughs> uh so how exactly then, how exactly is it that, that you then go out and looking for jobs? I, Upwork is what I use. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, it's just like the end all be all of job boards for freelancers. So once you get set up on Upwork and you get to start applying for gigs, it's like they just, they fall into your lap. Mm-hmm. And from one day to the next, you can have a part-time job that pays you you know, 300, 400 bucks a week just to work from home. Mm-hmm. It's like a big goal for some people, but they may not realize that those opportunities are out there. You just kind of have to really look into them in order to get anywhere. Right. So, yeah, it's not easy. It took me like a lot of days, days of wondering, like, how the hell am I going to do this? It's just for the Valley, it's kind of unheard of. You know right. what I mean? Unless, exactly. you work, yeah. unless you work through the paper, mm-hmm. no one's going to pay you to write. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just how it is. So, yeah. I owe a lot to Upwork, and I know that I talk about it a lot, but that's really like, yeah, I owe my career to that one website. It's mm-hmm. crazy. 
Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but hey, I I pay them some money too to work through Upwork, so I can't give them too much credit. <laughs> so uh, let's um, do you have uh, a story maybe about like how you got your first writing gig? You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, funny story because mm-hmm. this is, involves an interesting character. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in my senior year of college and I needed an internship Mm -hmm. and I don't know if I just wasn't prepared that I needed an internship or what made me, but like all all of a sudden I was scrambling, trying to find somebody who would give me an internship and I was willing to work for free. It was just a matter of finding somebody to take me in. Right. So I got online and I automatically started researching local advertising agencies because my major was journalism with an ad and PR track. So I Googled that and I think I reached out to maybe like four agencies and all I did was go to their website, click contact and, you know, address it to whomever it said and say, Hey, I'm a senior in college. I really need an internship, but I'm willing to work for free. Nobody answered me until I stumbled across Vantage Media, Mm -hmm. who um, still happened to be the publisher of RGV Magazine. Mm-hmm. So I wrote to Mark Panich, the owner, and I think within a day he was like, "Yeah, sure, come by for a meeting." I was like, <laughs> "What a meeting! I never really had a meeting before." Right. So yeah, I went over there, and he um, he said, "Okay, like I would, I would like you to work with us, but I need you to complete a trial article first. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Okay." So this was going to be in RGV magazine, and I was like, "What? That's crazy!" <laughs> I was like freaking out because I'd never written professionally before right. then. And so yeah, the article was about. Um, it just so happened to be the time where swine flu was going on. Oh, okay. And so the article was about how to save money or like tips on how to be frugal and like still maintain your fashion sense or whatever. And I just somehow, I just, that stands out to me because I threw in swine flu in the article for something. And so, yeah, that was my first piece. Interesting. And yeah, it, it came out in that issue of the magazine and I was paid for it, mm-hmm. like a whole $50, which mm-hmm. for at that time was a big deal to me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think I went on to write maybe like five more articles for them and then finish my internship. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, so I owe, actually owe a lot to Mark Fanish because that one article, it, it solidified my career. Right. You know Made what I mean? you a writer. Quote yeah, unquote. technically. Yeah. yeah. So by this time next year, I'll be able to say, oh yeah, I've been writing for 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Look at that. 10 years. 10 years. A decade of experience. <laughs> um, and so... Okay, so what? What? I, you've been writing for ten years. Yeah. So, what's your like style, or what's your type of favorite type of articles to write, or like type of articles that that you always try to look for in terms of jobs? Um, maybe I'm a little unique in that I don't have a particular niche. It started mm-hmm. off as fashion. I mm-hmm. was like that was my go-to, and that I was getting gigs to write about fashion. Mm-hmm. I was even a staff writer for a local fashion magazine. Um, but after a while, it kind of became one of those um, fight or flight. If I don't find a gig writing about anything, I'm going to have to find like another job. So right. that's when I started writing uh, for a PR firm, which was just like covering up uh, bad publicity about clients. Right, right. So there was a lot of that. And then it became, hey, I'm just going to write whatever comes to me. It doesn't matter what it's about. I can <laughs> research. So that's literally been what it's been like for 
all these years is just writing about whatever comes my way. I've written about dog food, uh, computers, fashion, <laughs> cars, uh-huh. Uh-huh. architecture, gadgets, like you name it, I've written about it. So I've, you can give me an assignment about some dream you had and I'll figure out how to write about it. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Mm. That's what I do. That's what I get paid for. Um, so obviously it takes research time. Yeah. So on average, like, what's your day look like when you're right, when you have to like write an article? Um, I'm a little different. These things should take like hours of research if you want to do it right. But mm-hmm. since I've been doing it for so long, I can get away with like an hour of research and right. I get to writing the article yeah. in two hours. Well, I mean, as part of it too, like, uh, the experience part, like, um, you say since you've written so many topics, I mean, you can, there's, there's this huge pool of experience that you could just draw from, right. you know, that maybe yeah. you don't necessarily need the you know, whole day of researching or, or two days of researching, you know, exactly where to look for that information and get yeah. the little bits of, bits of pieces and write your article. Maybe that's why I know so many things because right. I've written about <laughs> so many topics. That's maybe <laughs> true. No, but yeah, um, I think, and this is all things you learn in school, like how to research. Really? And, yeah, well, I think mm-hmm. in high school, we have to write papers and things like that, your textbook, you know, where to look, where look, how mm. to find things the fastest mm-hmm. is what research is for me now. It's mm-hmm. like, what can I type in the Google bar to make it come out the quickest, What exactly what I need. Interesting. And that comes in handy in, in work and in life, too. Like, hmm. I'll be watching a show or, like, that animated show, Animals. I'll hear a voice, and I'm like, I think I know who that voice is. So the first thing I'll do is I'll Google Animals Episode 6, Voice of Cat, you know? Mm-hmm. So once you know how to do those things, it becomes second nature. And then writing about any subject you want becomes a breeze because it doesn't take long to find the information. The show is not sponsored by HBO, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> um, interesting. I mean, that's pretty interesting because... Um, I mean, I don't want to get on a rant here, but I hated school. Like, yeah. And I mean, I was I was an, I was an okay student. I was a B student. Um, but uh, to me, like the whole structure of school just didn't work for me. Right. And I mean, I picked up the important things that I needed to learn, obviously, because I obviously went on and got my my degrees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I obviously was able to achieve yeah, that. Yeah, you did something right. <laughs> yeah, I, I achieved Mr. that. Mr. Modest. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, I, I guess what, you know, I guess I didn't really pick up on those skills. I mean, I was always good at, and uh, you know, in the reading classes, I was always good at figuring out, you know, the topic of whatever little article they gave us. Uh, you know, like, they would give you the assignment, or find the topic sentence of this paragraph or whatever. I was mm-hmm. always really good at figuring that out. Um, a funny story. Um, so in was it? I hope I don't put anybody on blast here. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's just one of those things. Like sometimes you have good teachers, sometimes you don't have great teachers, right? right? But obviously, there's circumstances as to maybe what doesn't make a great teacher. Um, but in my case, I have a kind of a funny story about this one teacher. In yeah, I guess it was either seventh or eighth grade, and um, and I I just you know. This teacher, just for whatever reason, and of course, I didn't make it easy for her either. Uh, I, I didn't make it really easy for any of my English teachers. It's just for one, except for one teacher. She was really sweet, and I just, I, it was really it was really simple to be in her class. Yeah. But for other English teachers, it was a bit more hard because in English class, you know, it was very structured, right? Right. You usually, 
you would go in and you write your little morning prompts or afternoon prompts or whatever. And you do that for like 10, 15 minutes. And then you would go on and discuss the lesson of the class. Or you would do the lesson of the class and you would do your assignments, right? You know, you're figuring out how to write the, the you know, proper grammar and right. you know, your little work assignments, whatever. Yeah. So again, the whole structure of that was just didn't work for me. You know, I that's not the type of learner I was. So uh, this is that's one of the main reasons why I never liked English classes. And so uh, again, and you know, I'm I'm trying not to really not trying to put anybody in blast here, but for whatever <laughs> reason, like you know, I just I just I just it's not that I didn't get along with the teacher or she didn't get along with me. It's just that I just didn't make it easier for her right. to for me to be a good student, right? Right. Because again, I really rebelled against the whole structure of it. And so, obviously, I made things a bit more tough uh, for her to try to teach me. And so, at some point, you know, it just, it just kind of became obvious that she figured out, like, well, he's not putting a lot of effort into it, so I'm not going to really do much either. Mm-hmm. It's one of those situations like, well, he's not going to, you know, bother, so I'm not going to bother either. Yeah. But the funny part is that I still paid attention to her. It's not that, that I didn't pay attention to her, and I learned all the things that she taught us. It's just that I didn't do the homework or... I didn't. So she taught you. You just wanted her to think that she didn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even that either. You just, it's just wanted to I was mess just with little, her mind. I guess. At I guess. That young age. I guess it, it was at that age, and I was just being a really a big brat. Yeah. You know, I was being a brat. And if only they could have tailored their entire curriculum to fit. Your I know, notes. right? Like, why couldn't they do that for me? <sighs> I was selfish. worth it. They could have They're done just, it. Those teachers were <sighs> so selfish. So selfish. But, uh, but yes, so I was being a bit of a brat. Well, a big brat, actually. Um, and so, you know, it just came down to that fact that, you know, this teacher, she was just basically going to be like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm really not going to stress out too much with this one because obviously he didn't put that much effort into it. But I did listen to her. I did learn the material. And yeah, maybe I didn't do the homework or maybe I didn't do the work assignments during class. I wouldn't do the reading prompts or the writing prompts, whatever. But when it came down to uh, taking our, our tax test, you know, the year final year exam, I actually was one of two of her students that entire year that, you know, that got the perfect scores. Damn. Boom. Awesome. And it's funny because I even surprised myself. <laughs> <laughs> this cannot be right. But the reason, the reason, it's just so funny because when we got the exams and I was going through it, I was like, man, this is really easy. This is super easy. Like, I can't believe this is the final exam. Everybody (laughs) made such a big stink about it. Like, everybody has study, 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 study. And I was just like chilling in the back, not caring. And maybe that was probably probably also probably why I did good too, because I was super relaxed, you know. I don't know, maybe. Um, But. Or maybe you're just smart. Well, and so course. those tests are, tend uh, to be easier I mean, for smart kids, yeah. There's no doubt there. Of course I'm smart. I mean, come on. Um, but no, no, no. But yes, um, it's it's just one of those funny things because I, I was one of the, one of, I think it was two or three of us um, that got perfect scores on it. Uh, I think the grading score was like one, two, three, and four. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I got, I got a four. Oh, yeah. Four's all the way. And I was like, wow, I surprised myself. Like, Holy <laughs> shit. And I remember, like, when they told me, like, hey, you got a four. Like, I was like, holy shit, I got a four? All right. Out of ten? What? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, but, yeah, um, um, it's just one of those things. Because, again, the day of, when I was taking the exam, I found it really simple. I was mm. just like, man, this is really simple. And, and funny enough, because I remember, like, oh, yeah, she taught us how to do it like this. 
So let me just do it like that. So I did it exactly the way she taught us. And sure enough, I got a four. And compared to the other students in class who obviously were going to be more successful than me or whatever, like, you know, in that, you know, in school, um, I did better than them. Uh-huh. And here I am, like the, the kid <laughs> in class who really was a brat and like rebelled and everything. Yeah. And I remember, I remember the next day when we got all our test scores and we had to go to class. And I remember showing up to class and there she came into class and she was so ecstatic. Like, <laughs> like I was like, I was the prodigy student. Golden child. She was like molding me to be this perfect <laughs> student. And I just, I was just like, first of all, lady, no, <laughs> like, no, sorry, but no, You're like such a fraud. You didn't, you didn't mold me into anything. I just so happened to learn from yeah. you because I was learning in my own way. I wasn't following right. your structure and rules, right. but just so you know, I and I have proof now. I did learn from you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you can give your give yourself that credit that you did teach me that. But it's not one of those things that you did it. Like you know, well maybe I guess so. She did, you know, because she did teach me, but. It, it, it didn't stick to her lesson plan, right? So when you say that you didn't really appreciate the structure of the class, what would you like to have seen? What would have made it easier for you to learn more, <laughs> you know, more right. hands-on? It, it's one of those, it's a, that's a very tricky question because, um, you know, I've never, I've never been diagnosed with uh, ADD or ADHD or anything like that or any learning disability, but... I know that my brain gets distracted very easily. Um, so obviously there's some level of attention deficit there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know for a fact that our current, ed- I mean, I can go on, on for hours about our current education system, but I know that our current education system doesn't, it's not really built for students like that. Right. It's, it's all about structure. Yeah. And it's funny because for ADHD people, um, structure is actually a really, really good thing for them. Um, but, uh, I guess it's one of those things that's like, they just didn't teach for students like me. I'm a very visual learner as well. Like I, if you just put like, I'm, it's very hard for me to read an entire book because again, I get distracted easily and it's just, it's just the words. Like I get lost in them. Like it's just like distracted. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, when, again, when it came to all my English classes, it was basically the same story over and over every single year, year after year. Um, unlike in my math classes, what I did better is because, well, math is visual. You have to write right. the numbers. You have to do the problems and all that. Right. I did much better in my math classes in terms of participation and all that. as opposed to in, in my reading classes uh, or, or English classes, I should say, um, because it was just the structure was completely different. Uh, science well I love science so in my science classes it's very visual you have to see the images you know when you're studying about biology you have mm-hmm. to see the image or else how, how else are you going to understand how a cell works you know you have to see a photo of a cell mm-hmm. or you have to build a little model of it right. um, how else are you going to learn about the intestines of a frog if you don't dissect it you know so those things are very visual and very uh, you have to hands on kind of thing Yeah. English not so much right um, but you know, it, I guess it's just one of those things. Like that's just the way it has to be. I mean, I don't know if there's other educational systems now that help students uh, with those kinds of uh, uh, needs. I guess you can say. Um, 
but I mean, obviously, I, I'm an. I, I like to say that I'm an edge case. You know, I'm a very specific case, and I don't think that the entire education system or the, all English classes have to be reformed just because a student like me. Um, but obviously, you know, <laughs> there's there's there is a case to be made that you know at least uh, to some point students like myself, you know, back in the day. They should have maybe been given a little bit more attention, not maybe not more attention, but maybe a little bit more consideration right. of like, okay, maybe he's a different type of learner and let's figure out what, how, how to best teach him. Yeah. And I know for a fact that there's, there was some teachers that I've had in, during my, my schooling that figured that out about me. Like, oh, he's a little different in terms of how he learns. So let's, let's, you know, like make sure I give him this type of attention or if he's going to do this type of problem, make sure he tackles it like this. And those are the teachers that I have always like, you know, looked up to, and I've seen. Like, uh, yeah. I was gonna say, wouldn't it be? I wonder how it would work. I mean, it might be difficult because I know you're not supposed to segregate these kids this right. way. But if a teacher had a good idea of which five kids are visual learners versus the fifteen kids who are not, it would be nice for her to be able to tailor her plans around mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. it's like. I don't know if there's any kind of exam put into place where they can determine early on in the year who these kids are and, yeah. you know, how they respond to different kinds of teaching. Yeah. And maybe the, maybe this is already in place. I I'm just... Yeah, obviously. I mean, but I mean, that's just one of those things. Like, that's my thing about the education system. And that's just... But a... there's, there's, you know, Betsy Devos and she's going to fix all that. Oh, so. Yeah, of course. We're yeah, lucky. our education lucky. secretary, of course. Yes, <laughs> we're very lucky. Yeah, of course. Extremely lucky to have a secretary <laughs> like her. If if the viewers, I mean, listeners, haven't picked up on our sarcasm, <laughs> it's obviously sarcastic. Huge eye roll. Yes, huge eye roll. But yeah, I mean, that's just one of like my little my little funny story about <laughs> uh, me in English classes. And uh, I, I mean, I have another one that's really, really funny. Um, but I guess we'll leave it to it for another time. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, how'd you? I mean, obviously, you're a writer. So obviously, English class for you had to have been like a dream. Oh, uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, I'm not to toot my own horn, but yeah, I passed the uh, AP exam uh-huh. senior year. So I didn't have to take like two introductory English courses in college. So I was able to graduate a little earlier, and I'm, I think it was because of that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Know. And for those listening, uh, me and Sarah went to the same, I mean, we grew up in the same city, but we went to do two different high schools. So it's like we're, we know how our local education system works. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why we're like, we have a lot of. What's everybody saying now? I am a product of. ECIS. Yeah, like so we all are. <laughs> uh, so uh, obviously, we grew up in Edinburgh, Texas, and we went to we went through the public education system here. And we, um, I mean, I guess that's one thing that I guess we can sort of discuss. Like, what, what, do you have like an opinion about the public school education versus private versus charter and all that? Um, Since you can talk about anything and write about anything. <laughs> I mean. Jeez. <laughs> um, I, I can only speak locally. Yeah. And what I've seen here is um, I know that 
Well, I read in the paper that BCISD did really well on, on the exams and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like several A ratings, whatever that means. Yeah. So, like, one of the reasons I bring that up is because, you know, again, earlier we were making, we we're being sarcastic about our our education secretary, Betsy DeVos. Um, but in, currently in the Trump administration, it's, it's one of those things that they're trying to push a lot for. You know, they're trying to push for more charter schools and private education. And one of the big things that they're trying to push for is... Uh, giving parents the right to basically, how was it that they said it? But basically give parents more power of how they educate their children. And on the surface, it sounds like a good thing, right? Right. But uh, what some people have argued is that, okay, that, that sounds good. But what you're also sacrificing is that if only a certain number of parents will take their kids out of the public education system and put them into private or into charter, then the public education system kind of starts deteriorating mm-hmm. in quality. And then on top of that, you also put at risk in terms of the, the, the diverse population of students that you have in the public education system. Right. So, you know, that that's why, like, I, I bring that up. It's because, like, you know, I, you know, we went to public school. And I think public school is great. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of benefit of having public school. Right. So, I, it's it's kind of hard. That I mean, obviously, it's it's a very hard argument. It's a very passionate argument too, because it's the you know, for parents, it's like it's the future of your kids. You know, where you take them to school and the education that they receive. So. I I think it's interesting that, like, I have nothing but good things to say about our our school district. And we live in one of the poorest, most uneducated, right. mm-hmm. you know, areas in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting to me how public education has gotten such a bad rap from all these different people. But, I mean, what is it about that? I mean, demographically, that that's making public schools so non-beneficial to them. For them to form these opinions, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's one of, I mean, uh, like if you look at other, I mean, other places here uh, in Texas, um you know, you take a place like Houston, um, which uh, which has a high amount of uh, uh, higher income people as opposed to like here in the Valley, which is low income. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you take away some of those parents who have higher incomes and those parents move their children out of the public education system and put them into private or charter, um, obviously they're not going to be putting uh, a lot of, you know, again, their, their kids are not going to be going to public school. Right. So then on top of that, it's like one of those things like, well, why do they have to pay taxes, you know, mm-hmm. into public education when I'm already paying my child's tuition? Right, right. So it's kind of like, it's a slow defunding of public school kind of yeah. thing. Um, I mean, that that would be really unfortunate because if people are already complaining about, you know, the school system and the competency of the teachers and all, what's going to happen if they get less funding? On top of that, too, like teachers. Um, so teachers will be more incentivized to go teach at a private school as opposed right. to go to a teacher in public school. Kind of how it is. I mean, not to throw anybody under the bus, but like Idea Academy here, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Don't a lot of teachers flock to Idea because it's supposed to be more pay. Mm-hmm. But I mean, at the same time, since there's a more rigorous cu- curriculum, they do have to work more hours and that kind of thing. So yeah. I guess it's a trade-off. But um no, that's an interesting question. I haven't given too much thought about it because I don't like that Betsy girl. So anything she says, I really don't pay attention to. Um, if we're being honest, I mean, <laughs> it's just one of those things. Like, it's obvious that that person was not um, well, at least obvious to us, right? Me and you, um, that uh, 
that was not the best pick, but obviously there's a lot of picks in the Trump administration that we feel are not the best picks. Um, Apparently the court feels that as well. Um, so <laughs> And not necessarily that they're in the administration, but the people he has chosen to surround with. himself with. So um, another fun one that I like to poke fun of is uh, our former governor here in Texas, Rick Perry. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he got put into a position where he just shouldn't have been. But, you know, he, it's one of those things like... Uh, no, it's not EPA, is it? It was the EPA, formally. Oh, okay. He was there for a while. Um, hopefully it was that. I'm going to have like a, a bunch of angry comments. <laughs> he wasn't on the EPA. Oh, it was the EPA. I... It's one of those where, like, you just got to find somewhere for him the, at the, this point, right? Well, yeah. It's, it's one of those things, too. Like, um, you know, there's a new administration. Obviously, it has to be filled. Uh, and who better else to fill it than the people who supported you during your campaign? So, it, it happens with every single administration. Yeah. And no administration, you know, has done it differently. Um, so, it's, it's, it's not uncommon to see that kind of thing. But, um, it's a little uncommon for these picks to be so incompetent in their areas. <laughs> like, like it's a uh, ridiculous amount. That 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 is a bit common. Of, but I mean, I'm yeah. sure I'm sure there's been other placements by other presidents that like you're just scratching your head, like, why is this person yeah. uh, our treasury uh, secretary of treasury? But <laughs> I, I and honestly, even then, I feel like. If that were the case, there would have been some backlash and a decent, uh, caring president would make another pick if they mm-hmm. saw that kind of negativity yeah. going around, you know? You know, it's funny because, like, you know, our ed- education secretary, ever since she she was you know put into that position, she has still stayed there. And it's probably, like, she's probably one of the, I mean, there's... Like, there's so many positions that the president has to fill. It's crazy. It's insane. I mean, that's one of the arguments that I have against big government. But uh, um, she, I guess she has, like, received the least amount of backlash from him, I guess I could say. Mm-hmm. That's, like, so, which also kind of worries me, like. But her pockets run really deep. But so I'm saying, like, it kind of worries me, like, if she's not getting any backlash from Trump, then that means she's doing a good job by Trump's standards, <laughs> which is like, oh, God, that's kind of scary to me. I don't know. I feel like education is very, very low on Trump's priority list. Yeah. Priority list. So I, I, to me, she's not even a second thought in his mind, especially with everything that's going on now. Which is probably why we haven't heard much about her. What is going on now? I mean, I don't, I don't know. Uh, is, is he, is little of this. Little of that. that. <laughs> some felonies here. Some felonies there. Not for him, but for his closest circle. So, And, you know, this goes back to you are who your friends are. Mm-hmm. Does it not? Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, with these politicians, I mean, it's like... I mean, it's sooner or later you're going to get yourself in bed with someone who's not going to be good to you politically. And mm-hmm. Trump's not no exception. He right. was obviously going to get himself in bed with someone mm-hmm. at some point. It just happened to be a former porn star. But <laughs> no judgment. No, no judgment. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... My, uh, my dad actually sent my brother and me a text yesterday and then... I don't know if he had had a few beers or what, but he said, what kind of piece of shit do you have to be to get uh, banned from two funerals, meaning yeah. John McCain and Barbara Bush? Yeah. 
So, I mean, that speaks for itself. Yeah. I mean, the Bushes, I mean, when when people ask them, like, did you vote for Trump? They basically said, we didn't, what did they say? Did they decided not to vote or something like that? Mm-hmm. Which is, like, I think speaks louder mm-hmm. as opposed to who they may have voted for. Like, yeah, wow, I like, agree. Right. Well, it was, um, have you seen the movie, oh, shit, what is it called? I love it. I've seen it several times. Um, it's an HBO movie mm-hmm. about the election, John McCain and Barack Obama and Sarah Palin. Hmm. I don't think I've seen that one. Uh, Julianne Moore plays Sarah Palin. What is the name of it? look it up <laughs> but yeah i mean it, i think it speaks a very loudly like no former president basically voted for trump right no living former president voted for trump and i think that speaks speak i mean that's pretty yeah that's, that's a big statement in itself right. that no former living president voted for trump and yeah i mean obviously some of them were like democrats so obviously they weren't going to vote for him obviously does well i mean i don't know how dramatic it is for me to say that he's made a mockery of the presidency and maybe that not aside from his policies mm-hmm. maybe that's why the president yeah. felt confident in voting for him because yeah it's just, and, yeah. and that's one of the things that I've, I've always spoke to uh with people um and i said like we have to have to and i know some people like don't care about a person's morality when you know it comes to this type of things but honestly we kind of do have to put some you know, uh, thought into the type of person that would like them to someone into such a high office, you know? Uh, so their morality would matter. Like, you know, is this a good moral person? Except at the end of the day, especially considering that the, the president of the United States, they have their finger on the freaking button that's going to launch nuclear weapons. Right. And so that, at least to me, at least to me, are you a good moral person or are you just going to act on impulse? And when I ask myself about uh, at the time about, you know, uh, Trump as a candidate, uh, I said that this person to me is not a good moral person. So I in no good faith can vote for him because I don't trust him with having his finger on that button, Mm -hmm. you know? So, and on top of that, obviously there's a whole bunch of other things. Me being a a Mexican American, I obviously was not going to vote for him for his comments against uh, Mexicans Mm -hmm. (laughs) and plenty of other, uh, plenty of other things as well. It's just kind of a shame because I was a fan of The Apprentice. (laughs) I actually did like the show. It was, it was pretty, it was a pretty good show. Oh, unfortunately, Uh, I don't know. We're in the dark timeline, I guess. Um, I mean, I just. I'm a little discouraged when I hear people say, oh, don't worry, it's only six more years. Oh, uh, because right. Because there are still those who hope he gets reelected, and that's what, it's, it's disheartening. Uh, don't worry. I mean, what are you going to do? It's know? not like he's going to gain the two million votes that you know Hillary Clinton had him over in the popular vote. I'm just glad that he's given himself an A plus so far. Yeah. You know. A plus. <laughs> Uh, did, did you see? Did you see the recent thing um, about how he was coloring the flag incorrectly? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, mean, I was thinking, are we surprised at all? In the least, I was, I was, I was, I was speechless because I was like, <laughs> actually, I actually I was of two minds because I was like, okay, first of all, he's with the little kids and he's drawing with the kids and he's just trying to have a you know a pleasant time with the kids and you know whatever. 
so who gives a shit what color he's he's covering the thing? But at the same time, I was like, yeah, you know, because someone obviously brought up the whole, well, he's asking people to not, you know, kneel during the mm-hmm, you know, right, protesting right. the national you anthem. Know the flag that's and like, right. you're not coloring the flag correctly? <laughs> like, okay. So. I don't like that. Okay, in, in today's world, if you're a celebrity and you say something dumb, you're like totally ostracized. Right. You might get dropped from sponsorships. You might lose your job. Like so many things can happen to you when you speak out of line in public. And then we have the president of the United States who says such mean, nasty things about people. Right. And he's able to go to an elementary school and hang around with these little kids. Like it's totally well, normal. And like he's not a totally morally debunked person it's just one of those head scratcher moments when because his you know our first lady has you know has a campaign to basically stop bullying right but yet we have a bully for a president yeah so So, i mean i just i understand why he's president because i know that this old school mindset is still very real in America and and a lot of it has to do with greed also. Mm -hmm. I just wish more people would understand that being a president is not just taking care of the economy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. We have to withhold our reputation as the greatest nation and that's Mm -hmm. in everything from the way we treat other countries to the way we treat each other. Mm -hmm. And now it's just like all kind of gone to shit on on Um, the world scale. No, yeah, of course. And that's why I brought brought up the whole morality thing. Uh, that was one of my, my, my things about when I came to deciding about a, a candidate, you know, um, are they a good moral person? Um, but obviously Trump did not fit that bill for me. So, you know, what's funny is that for so many people, Hillary didn't fit the bill either. Yeah. And that's why they couldn't vote for her. Right. So I'm not trying to get into it, which is the lesser of two evils, but and that's there, the other part of two, yes. there is one and... And that, they're not. Yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> correct because that's that's one of the biggest arguments, well, not arguments, but I guess discussion points that I would make people. It's like, this is why the, the previous uh, election frustrated me so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously I've only vote, voted for presidential elections, you know, maybe it was probably, this was my third, fourth time mm-hmm. voting in the presidential election. But it wasn't this frustrating in the previous ones. Right. Um, because... These two candidates, to me, I felt like, okay, which one is literally the lesser of two evils? Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was so frustrating for me because I did not like either candidate. Yeah. They, it's just one of those things, like, I, I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to voting for either one, but obviously, you know, I had to put my, my, my right to exercise my vote into action. So I had to choose one of them. Mm-hmm. And obviously I had the, the opportunity to vote for a third party candidate as well. So I had to choose from, you know, all those, all those candidates. Mm-hmm. But it was so frustrating because all of them just sucked. <laughs> In my opinion, they all sucked. I mean, yeah, I, I, I was definitely team Hillary. Yeah. But I get why some people don't like her. Right. Like, I'm not oblivious to it. Yeah. So. so, I mean, the biggest, the big, I guess the biggest uh, things uh, that, it's funny because, like, my biggest, my biggest gripes about uh, the Clinton campaign weren't, like, the stupid talking points that, you know, the Trump administration was making. But there were more serious ones. Like, you know, she never really got into detail about exactly how she would, uh, you know, uh, exercise her power as presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It was more like, okay, just just tell us in concrete detail what what you would do. Right. And the thing that frustrated me is the most the most about the Clinton uh, campaign. It was the whole stupid argument, like, well, you know, when they go low, we'll go high. It's right. like, oh, God, <laughs> don't you get it? They're yeah, going to drag you through that yeah. freaking mud, and they're not going to let go of you. Right. They're not. You have to throw punches, mm-hmm. and you have to defend yourself. It's like, mm-hmm. like no, that argument's not going to work in this campaign, yeah. in this election season. So, which is why she lost. But uh, yeah. um, it's just, there was so many things about her campaign that just, did not resonate with me so yeah i mean man i tr- really tried to explain i have people in my family who are trump supporters yeah same here. and when the whole email controversy was happening <laughs> like as yeah. ridiculous as it was yeah i know that that legitimately had an impact for a no, lot of course. voters and i to them i say like okay you know like i know my friends and i have some of the nastiest raunchiest like funniest conversations through text message mm-hmm. there's no way in hell i'm gonna let anybody see those not my right. boss not my parents not my boyfriend so these are your personal conversations with somebody how likely are you to hand those over to someone mm-hmm. because wasn't it proven that there was all her personal shit she wasn't really trying to hide anything it was well, like and i know that at that time her daughter was getting married so she's mm-hmm. making all these plans with all these different people mm-hmm. and like I have thousands of emails in my box, and mm-hmm. I'm not not a political figure. Right. So I'm just like, you can't you can't take that stuff into consideration when you're talking about the president. Because look at look at all of us. And, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not you because you're you're a pretty moral person, but my friends, <laughs> we we um, laugh at people and we say dumb shit sometimes. So that that's why I wouldn't be likely to have anybody look at my private conversations. Right. Well, my argument was when it came to that specifically. Um, you know, I did defend her on that point, um, mainly because she went up to Congress. She was called up upon, upon Congress several times. She went there and defended herself and they didn't find anything. Yeah. At the end of the day, she defended herself, herself in front of Congress. They asked her all the questions that they could possibly ask her. They did all the investigations that they could possibly do. They didn't find anything. Mm-hmm. So what's your talking point? Yeah. That she did something and you find it wrong, okay? You can say the same thing about the Trump campaign, and obviously we have now found that he did things and they were wrong. And for somebody who was so focused on those emails to have such dirty laundry, so it's it's just one of those things. It's like okay, I get that you're upset about all that, but we went through several investigations. She went up to Congress. They grilled her over and over. They didn't find anything. Mm-hmm. They found her of no wrongdoing. Of the information that was leaked and all that, they didn't find anything that was classified enough to then you know, charge her of something or charge anyone around her with something. And so nothing came out of it. They made a big spectacle out of something that was nothing, which is the genius of the Trump right. campaign. <laughs> so are we correct to assume had the emails not been involved that she would be president right now? Uh, no, because there's still many other factors that played into it. Obviously, the biggest thing to me, obviously, is gerrymandering. There's a lot of gerrymandering that happened and obviously that cut into the whole, uh, into the whole, uh, obviously we know 
she won the popular vote by yeah. two million more votes. Right. I mean, there's there's no changing that. That's a fact. No matter what Giuliani says, truth is not truth. That is the truth. Truth is not truth. The, the truth is, is. I don't appreciate you undermining uh, Mayor Giuliani's <laughs> remarks. <laughs> the truth is, she had two million more votes in the popular vote, but the way the electoral college works, Trump won. So, and I, she he won because he he knew exactly, or his campaign knew exactly, which states to hit, right. which areas to hit. And which areas would factor in into making sure that he got those electoral votes. And he won. He won fair and square through those electoral votes. There's no changing that. Um, his campaign was smart enough to figure that out. Um, unfortunately, the Clinton campaign didn't figure that out. They just banked on the fact that, A, she had uh, a name that was well-known enough. B, she her character was probably going to be enough to be, you know, transcend that all the whole negativity. And then... Put her into put her into a good spot to win the election, and three just coast on the fact that she was the better candidate. But obviously that didn't matter. Those things don't really matter if you if you don't play the electoral map correctly, right. you're not going to win. Right. We've seen that year after year after year. Okay, so before this most recent election, was there still that backlash against the electoral college? Had that been something that they like people had had a problem with for a while? Or is it only when it, Donald Trump is a candidate and it yeah. backfires so badly yeah, like, that people start to say, oh, no, we need to do away with it? Um, obviously, there, I think there was more calls for that uh, because of this past election. Um, it's funny because up to this point, it's, it's just one of those things like kind of came and bit me in the ass kind of thing. Up to this point, I would defend the Electoral College right. like harshly. I've, I've, yeah, yeah, and I've heard people do yeah. it too. And it makes sense when they're yeah. talking about it. So, And I've done it because I, I've said... It prevents us from like electing a person like Donald Trump for president, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. or it, it, uh, someone like him or someone who yeah. may have been more off the fringes. Um, but hey, look at that! They took something that was so unassuming and they used it to win an election. Right. And it's like, oh, look at that! That's a smart little move you did there. I, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Um, but you know, it's just one of those things. Like I, I, I was still defending electoral college. I think it served its purpose. It's just one of those things. Like gerrymandering, obviously, has a huge effect in how elections happen in this country. So, here in the state of Texas, it's, it's very famous for mm-hmm. gerrymandering here in the state of Texas. Like year after year, the state of Texas gets sued by some organization, and they have to go all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court has to tell Texas, "Bad Texas, don't be doing that." Mm-hmm. And except for the last time, this past time, they actually won a case. So uh, good for them. Um, but yeah, like. You know, gerrymandering is obviously a big thing um, and obviously played a huge role into it, obviously among the other uh, factors as well. Like another thing that uh, the Trump campaign did very well is that they focused on rural areas that were more motivated by uh, emotions and um, I guess you could say um, good, simple talking points Mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to the, the Clinton campaign which focused more on like urban areas and focused more on you know big talking points that weren't direct to people um and again that's part of my complaint that i had against the clinton campaign which i could never really connect to it because she never got to concrete details when trump says i'm gonna build a goddamn border wall people get that yeah people understand that 
And when she goes on and talking about, you know, this or that, like people are going to just tune out. And I think that's one of the biggest, you know, downfalls of her campaign. And the thing is that it's not even like she didn't have experience. It's not like she should have done better. She just didn't. Yeah, she didn't, uh, she didn't play good. At least on that front, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's one of the things. That's one of the arguments that I, I made with someone. And I'm like, how how are you not gonna possibly vote for her when she has literally the most years in experience being in the White House? Yeah. She was the first lady for when when Bill Clinton was president for eight years. She was eight years as the first lady. Has all that experience. She went on and became a state senator for New York, has all that experience. She then went on to be a secretary of state under Obama. She has all that experience. How are you not going to vote for someone who has that much years of experience, plus all the education she has? I mean, how are you not going to vote for someone like that? But, but that's a very intellectual way to approach it. Exactly. And not everybody. Exactly. Because, again, one of the arguments that you hear people who voted for Trump say, like, well, he gets what I'm trying to say. Like, you know, he 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 says, he says, what is it that they say? They say, um, he's not afraid to say, like, how it is. Yeah. Which, I mean, to which I say, racism? <laughs> like, that, and I, and I don't mean to, to pigeonhole those people, yeah. but it's like, that's really the only thing I can think of. To justify why he won is tapping into people's inner right. racism. Yeah, to me you it's more. I mean? Oh, yeah, obviously that's a big point. Yes, uh, but <laughs> the argument, the kind of argument I make to that, it's like, yeah, but you wouldn't vote for your drunk uncle to be president, you know? Because <laughs> your drunk uncle says whatever you want right. all the time, yeah, right? Right. But you wouldn't vote for him to be president. So why would you vote for this man? So I don't know. It's just one of those things. You know, the country is in a very uh, unique position now, and um, there's a lot of back and forth. But uh, I don't know. I'm just like really, really rooting for Beto. Like I know it's just you know it's Senate race, not that important yeah. to a lot of people, but like the implications are huge yeah. for something like this. And I feel like that's just will be one very small step in changing things for the better. Yeah, but we'll see. You think he'll win? I think he's got a really good shot, way better than anybody anticipated. Yes. And, uh, you know, I've been hearing this for a while. He's got no chance. He's got no chance. Like, well, look now. I mean, that just goes to show hard work pays off. And it's, mm-hmm. the, it's the same with, um, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name, from New York. Oh, yes, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get you're saying. The, the one they're calling Grassroots out. Grassroots campaigns. Yeah, the one they're calling out to be a democratic socialist. Yeah, that, yeah. that one. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, I feel bad that I don't remember her name, but yeah. I mean, it's the same story. It's like this Cinderella story of yeah. you have a good heart and you really want to do good for people. You mm-hmm. can overcome all that bullshit that right. that keeps these people yeah. in office, like the Ted Cruz's and the the Trumps. Yeah, so I, I, I don't think he'll win, but that's not the point. I don't think that's the point of his campaign. I don't think that's what people should be uh, thinking about in terms of his campaign. I think that people need to realize that, like you said, this is like the the closest we've ever gotten to electing someone else from not the uh, GOP, right? For this position. So, what makes you think he won't win? Oh, just history. 
Um, but like, look at the polls. Well, that's the thing about it too. Like, that's that's exactly the things that I'm trying to get at. It's like, mm, I don't think yeah. that I don't think he'll win. I honestly don't think he'll win. Um, I, I, I'm I'm a supporter of his, and I vote for him. But I don't think he's gonna win. But that's again, that's not the important part. And I think that's important. That's the, that's the thing that people are drawn to too much. I think that if he doesn't win, he's going to lay out a good foundation as to how a Democrat can win right. in the state of Texas. Right. And I think that if people don't pay attention to that, then you truly lose. Yeah, I, I get that. But I also don't think it's at all um, unreasonable to assume that he could win, given yeah. the chick in New York. Nobody I mean, thought she, she was going to win. She dethroned what? Dethroned. She, like... <laughs> Uh, how long was the guy in yeah, the office for 14 yeah, or 15 like, years? Yeah, a long time. Yeah, so um, um, it just... But, you know, to be fair, she beat out, know. you know, uh, another right. fellow Democrat. Yeah. Um, and that area is very known to vote Democratic. Mm-hmm. You know, um, here it's a Democratic candidate trying to beat out a very lovable, uh, I mean, a very loved um, Ted Cruz here in the state of Texas. You think he's loved? By the I've GOP heard, party. I've heard so many people say that he's like one of the most hated of politicians. In the GOP party here in Texas, I believe he's very, very loved here in the state of Texas. But then again, I mean, look how close the the race between Hillary and Trump was in Texas. Won't we like super close? Yeah, it was, a couple, it was a couple million votes difference, yeah. Which um, is like... That's... It's just a way bigger number for Democrats than we've seen in the past. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it might be the same with these Senate races. Mm-hmm. It's like. Yeah. And that's why, I, I mean, if he wins, cool. He won. But I well, think that. Well, not with your attitude. He's not going to win. <laughs> well, that's, again, if he wins, it's also part of my point, too. Like, right. you know, we have to look exactly how he won, like how he did it. And that's, that's the important part that the, the, at least the Texas Democratic Party has to realize, like. Again, the Democratic Party right now is in a, it's it's in a very weird position because, and this is one of the big uh, you know things that I have against the Democratic Party is that they're very like there's a huge portion of them that is very um, like old school and traditional in how they do things. Mm-hmm. It's like very wealthy, very uh, 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 urban, and very like you know just from a certain category, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't reach out to rural voters, right. you know. Um, they don't, you know, they don't quite fit their agenda to kind of help them out too. Right. It's a very specific type of agenda. And I mean, it's fine. Everybody has their own agenda. Right. Um, but you know, here we have a candidate like Beto O'Rourke, I was going to say Beto Cruz, <laughs> Beto O'Rourke, who has literally gone to all 253 counties, I believe, uh, in the state of Texas, literally have gone to all of them. Yeah. And little by little has drawn bigger and bigger crowds and has drawn all this attention. And it's like, well, look what he did. He was literally, he literally went to every single county in the state of Texas, which is a lot of counties. And the state of Texas is huge. He went to all of them. And it's like, it's really impressive to see this, this man go out there and try to rally up the people to vote for him. Even if they aren't going to vote for him, he rallied up people to say, Let's at least take a look at him. Let's go figure out what he's about. Um, and you can see that because, you know, obviously there's a bunch of uh, footage out there of all kinds of people going up to him and asking him all kinds of different questions. And, you know, it's not the same because I'll give you a funny story. 
um, a real quick funny story. When I when Obama was first running for president, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously he was him and against Hillary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for the nomination for the Democratic Party. So I remember the night I went to go vote for that in the primaries here in the state of Texas. Uh, I went to go vote for him, and uh, they had to do I forget what it was called, but basically they had to basically uh, decide. Uh, obviously, everybody voted, and they had to decide, okay, who's going to be the candidate? Because I think it was like, uh, it ended up in like a close to even vote or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I remember being there at the polls and them, them asking us, okay, everybody don't leave yet because uh, we need to decide who's going to be the candidate um, based on, you know, a su- certain number of delegates that they had, whatever. So then they asked us, okay, anybody who's going to vote for Obama stand on this side and uh, on, the, on the right side, and who's going to stand... Uh, was at Edinburgh North, mm-hmm. uh, I remember. Um, and was going to vote for Hillary Clinton stand on this side, and they literally lined us up, and then they start counting the number of people who were there, and it just so happened that there was more uh, Hillary uh, people there, so she ended up winning the number of delegates required uh, from our county, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember pe- people being so cheerful and so happy, um, and in my head I was just thinking like, she's not going to win. It's going to be Obama's yeah. going to win the, the nomination right. in the end. But whatever, she won our local yeah. uh, ca- uh, delegates mm-hmm. to go vote for her whatever. And so... Um, that sounds unusual to me, the way that was set up. Uh, it was a whole process because they showed us the I've little paperwork. Heard of that. No, they showed us the, the paperwork and I asked, you know, some people were asking, why, why do we have to do this? Right, right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that was like the, the little process to get the the, the nomination for 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 our our local little primary or whatever mm-hmm. there, there's 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 this always this in the democratic party there's always this like um i guess uh fervor for a certain candidate and people will get lost in that right and okay. i think that i think i think that happens over and over and over and over over again in the democratic party like there's this huge fervor for like a candidate, and people get too excited about it and don't and forget about the actual politicking that you need to do, which I think that Beto has done a good job at the politicking. The fact that he went and visited every single county in the state of Texas proves that he's done that politicking. Mm-hmm. And um, on like Cruz, which is he's a little bit coasting on the fact that he's going to win it because right. he's very popular here in the state of Texas still. And, of course, he still, you know, was able to uh, raise enough money to continue his campaign here. Um, obviously, people were thrown off by the fact that Beto was able to raise more money than him. Um, so, I mean, I think it's just one of those things. Like, the Democratic Party, in my opinion, continues making simple mistakes. And it's like, okay, dummy, if you're going to continue making these simple mistakes, then you do, you do deserve to lose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Right. No, I get you. But... Let's put it this way. Say Hillary and Trump, mm-hmm. say Cruz and O'Rourke, and mm-hmm. we're talking numbers here. Mm-hmm. If Donald Trump won by 2 million more people than Hillary did, wouldn't we technically just need 2 million people who don't like Ted Cruz in Texas? Yeah, 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 obviously. Um, Hopefully, there's that many people. Yeah. Just, his face alone kind of annoys me. I yeah, I, I forget what's the, what's the actual rules for... Uh, Senatorial races uh, here in the state. I believe it has to be within the error margin, or at least more than half of fifty-one percent of the votes, or something like that. Right. Um, 
I mean, because from what I've read, he's one point behind right now. Yeah. But that's like with 21% yeah. undecided or whatever. Thing, and I don't trust polls anymore because there was like, all the true. polls no, no, said I, that Hillary Clinton was going to win. Yeah, and look at that. Very true. So this is why, like, again, is, again, the whole fervor part yeah. of it. Like, we can't just get excited at the fact that, oh, look at that. Look at the polls. They all saying that he's going to win. Or like, oh, look at that. He's he's so lovable by everybody. He is. And uh, <laughs> we just can't just can't do that. You yeah, have to. No, you're right. You have to, like I'm saying, like he he went to every single county and you know did his speeches. You talk to the people. That's politicking. That's what you do when you're a politician at this level. You go out and you talk to the people. Ted Cruz, in my opinion, didn't do that, or he did it to a certain right of people. Um, but I mean. To each his own. I mean, everybody has their own campaign style, how they do their campaign. Uh, Cruz is just trying to win the re-election. He's not, you know, trying to win the election. Um, so I guess in some certain sense, it's just a little easier for him to do to yeah. do those tactics as opposed to doing the polit- po- uh, politicking that uh, Beto has to do. Right. But I, I, I'm, I'm more, I'm more inclined to vote. Obviously, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the underdogs, so I'm going to vote for the underdogs. Um, and on top of that, I'm more inclined to vote for Beto because of the fact that he put the time and effort to politic, you know? Right, which is why the chick from New York, who I don't know her name, won. I, I mean, it's a, a Ocasio-Cortez. Yes. Uh, Ocasio-Cortez. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, yeah, and I guess that's another good point, too, about her. Like, she actually went out and politicked all across her area and spoke to the people, and they backed her in the end. <laughs> So, I mean, we'll see. Texas is com- way different than New York. Oh, yeah. I mean, completely different. Here we have a very strong rural uh, vote, you know. Um, and we'll see if, if Beto really did his uh, his job at politicking in that area. Yeah. So, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Anything else you want to talk about, Sarah? Um, not off the top of my head, no. Any final thoughts? Final thoughts. Um, Bit of advice you would like to leave the listeners? Um, we all just need to get out there and vote, man. If all all of us voted uh, with our hearts and our minds, then I think uh, we'd be in a lot better place right now. So, hopefully. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I guess to kind of also like go along with that message is like. You know, in our current climate right now, just getting people to meet halfway is very difficult. Right. So, you know, I guess being a bit more open-minded. Is... But truth isn't truth, so. Yeah. So. Um... <laughs> and I leave you with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thank you, Sarah, for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it was great having you on the podcast. Um, I appreciate your kindness. Yeah, I, th- I think this was. I think this was a good conversation. I think so too. Yeah, we finished our coffees. My coffee's done. Awesome. So, okay. I'll see you all later. And thank you for listening. And hopefully I'll bring you um, more conversations in the future. And just keep on listening. Bye. Bye.